Have you ever had one of those uh, defining moments in your life that just sort of stays with you for a long, long time? Like something that happened to you as a child? It was either really embarrassing or it was traumatic or funny, but you just, you never forget it. It becomes kind of, of a defining sort of uh, memory that shapes you. And uh, you deal with it, uh, sometimes in a healthy way, sometimes in a not so healthy way, but, but you, you sort of end up kind of compensating in your life, in your relationships with other people because of this defining moment. And for me, one of those moments was when I was in the sixth grade and English social studies teacher at Ridgecrest uh, assigned us all to do a speech. A speech, are you kidding me? I'm in sixth grade and I have to deliver a speech. It was probably, I don't know, five minutes long, but it was terrifying to me. And I remember I was so nervous and full of anxiety that the night before I was supposed to give my speech to the class, I developed a stuttering problem. And it was one of those kind of stutterings where you, you, you want to say a word and it gets stuck. You can't do it. And that brought sheer terror and panic into my head and my heart as I anticipated tomorrow I had to stand up in front of all my friends. So it came time and I slipped out of my desk and I went up to give my speech and I couldn't do it. I started stuttering. And of course, my sixth grade friends, they were so empathetic and so caring and so understanding. And it was over. I had to sit down. The teacher said, sit down. And then at recess or lunch, I mean, they just let me have it. And, you know, it's ironic in a way because, you know, part of the role of being a pastor is sometimes you're called upon to stand up in front of people and talk. You know, it's a weird sort of deal. And that defining moment stays with me, and I've compensated for a long time. In fact, I have sort of um, managed it. I've hid behind it. I have um, tried over-the-top preparation to uh, make sure that the audience doesn't do what my sixth-grade friends did. And, uh, you know, sometimes people say, oh, Bill, you don't, you don't look nervous at all. And I say, well, I... I know how to fake it. <laughs> behind, behind this is an is a, uh, anxiety-ridden little sixth-grade boy, you know? But we know how to compensate. We can fake it. We can hide. We can, we can sort of mold our persona to the crowd we're in and maybe begin to sort of please them to make sure that we don't feel embarrassed or made fun of. And the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians, decided he wasn't going to play that game. He, he, he was not going to compensate. He was not going to change what he said or how he said it to somehow sort of please the crowd. And we're in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. Um, we've been here for a couple weeks in 1 Corinthians. Uh, a beautiful kind of broken. And, and Paul, he just said, you know what, I'm a broken person. And I'm going to let it be beautiful out front. I'm going to give you the real thing. I'm going to give you the truth. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 2. Follow along. 
And uh, you'll notice, as James said on the outline, there's, there's no sermon title. There's no teacher that's going to give it because when, when uh, Caitlin went to print, we didn't know yet, you know, what, what's going to happen on Sunday. So I'm going to give you my sermon title right now. The sermon title is Being Foolish. And I have two points, if you like an outline, on a blank piece of paper. There's two points. The first one is embodied foolishness. And the second one is singular focus. Because I think that's a summation of these five verses. I know the outline says we're going through the whole chapter, but no, we're not. We're going through five verses. That's all I had time for in 12 hours. Here we have embodied foolishness in Paul's life. For Paul, the cross was not just a foolish message, but it also called him to a foolish life. Not just his message, but his life. He wasn't content to just talk about the cross. He let the cross shape the way he lived. And last week, James brought us this beautiful Uh, passage uh, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1 it says for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God and then go all the way to the first verse of chapter 2 and Paul says and so it was with me brothers and sisters And so it was with me. The foolishness of the cross is not just a message to talk about, but it's also a way to live. Paul's inviting us in to say this is how we shape our lives. The cross shapes our lives. And not just for Paul, not just for preachers, but for all of us. If you're a teacher, if you're a parent... If you have friends, if you lead a Bible study, if you're, on, uh, uh, you're, you're a, a small group leader with Tide or with Rush, uh, you lead a grounded group in any kind of situation, Paul says the cross is not just something we talk about, but it's, it's going to shape the way that we live as well. So you remember what James showed us in this first chapter, that Paul was being compared to the sophists, to the... To the um, to the rhetoricians, to the philosophers, you know, um, to, the, to the elite. And they're like, Paul, you're not like them. We, 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 we want someone fancier. We want someone smarter. We want someone with, with uh, greater eloquence. And Paul says, I'm, I'm not going to play that game. These, these sophists that the Corinthians were so drawn to, uh, they were the ones that were seeking honor. They wanted to deliver a speech so that they would get honor and a following. They're the ones who were all about self-sufficiency and self-congratulation and self-reliance. And Paul says, no, that, that, that's not the pathway of the cross. That's not how I'm, I'm going to do it with you, Corinthians. And they didn't like it. You see, the cross has changed everything for Paul. Remember what James said last week? If this is true, if the cross is true the way Paul lays it out, then this changes everything. He had to rethink everything about his life, about his approach, about his ministry. 
So note the way in these verses how Paul embodies the cross. And in the first verse, he, he calls it telling the story about God. Or as the NIV says, um, proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Because that's what we're doing all the time. We're always telling the story of God. This, this is what this is about. When we worship, we're telling the story about God. Our lives, we're, we're constantly leaking it out and telling that story. And what does Paul put kind of on the negative side of the ledger according to the Corinthians? He says in, in verse 1, I, I, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom. These are the, the code word for the philosophers and the, the sophists that received honor, the elite. Paul says in verse 3, uh, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. And, and he's not just saying, you know, I was that sixth grade little kid giving a speech, you know, freaking out about the situation. He's putting himself in a category. And then he says in verse 4, my message and my preaching. And I sort of think of that as his content and his delivery. His message, the content, and his delivery, the preaching, they were not with wise and persuasive words. So Paul is saying that he, he's, he's embodied this message. It's, just, it's part of his entire life. But not just this embodied foolishness. The reason that he is willing to take this on and let this begin to shape his life is because Paul, as an apostle, Paul is a church planter, Paul is a leader, he had a singular focus. See that? I'm halfway through the message right now. There's the second point. Pretty good, huh? <laughs> However, you don't know how long the second point is. And you don't know how long the application is. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Paul had a singular focus. This embodied message was was vital to him and important because of his passion, because of his aim, because of his purpose. Now, it's not that Paul didn't have mad skills when it came to being a communicator. Paul was one of the most brilliant people in the first century. And in fact, if you read his, his speeches and his sermons in the book of Acts, you'll discover a guy that knows, he knows how to, how to play the game. He knows how to, how to communicate with the best of them. He can, he can um, speak in many languages. He can speak uh, the, the, toe-to-toe with the philosophers. But he said, for this important role, I'm setting all that aside. Why? Because I have a singular focus. And that focus has to do with the cross. Paul made everything about his life and his ministry secondary to this singular focus. Notice in verse 2, Paul says this, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now that doesn't mean that Paul didn't deal with lots of other areas and issues. As you, We'll see as we go through 1 Corinthians, the letter highlights all sorts of practical and, and problematic issues. So Paul was not saying, I only talk about the cross. But Paul said, it's my focus. The cross is my aim. Everything is going to begin with the cross. Everything's going to end with the cross. 
as foundational, as central to what this whole thing is about. The story of God from the beginning led to the cross. And further, he says, whether I'm speaking or whether I'm living, verse 4, all of this is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Paul wanted his message and his preaching not to be with wise and persuasive words, but to be indeed a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Isn't that what we want? When we come to the end of our striving, we eventually go, God, there is no hope except that your power would be manifest in this moment. You know, we can't manufacture the manifestation of the Spirit. We can't snap our fingers and say, God, you've you, you got to take care of this. Like somehow he's um, a genie in a bottle. And, and we just we pull him out and, and then we tell God what to do. We, we, we long for the Spirit to bring his power into our lives, into our setting, into this church. We, we beg, we pray, we plead with God to bring his power, the Spirit's power into Todd's life, that healing power. And in saying this, it's not saying that Paul is making a division between, you know, um, the, 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 the worldly and earthly uh, uh, knowledge and wisdom and power and skill and that we don't, we don't do that. All we do is we, we just rely on God's power. We pray for the Spirit's power. No, no, we are so grateful for the skill and the expertise and the wisdom of the medical doctors who saved Todd's life. We're, we're grateful that when they were in medical school and, you know, maybe choosing to follow Jesus, but in medicine say, you know, it's final exams and, you know, but, but I'm, I'm not going to rely on earthly Wisdom, I'm just going to rely on the Spirit's power so I won't study and I'll just go in and expect God to, you know, rescue me during this final exam. That, that's, that's not what Paul's saying. He's not putting up a false dichotomy here. But he's saying there's something about the manifestation of the Spirit and spiritual power that is a dynamic that is unleashed because of the cross. Of Jesus Christ. We can't manufacture it, but we can stay laser focused on knowing where real power comes from. It comes from surrender at the cross. That's where it starts, that's where it keeps going, and that's where it ends. A surrender of our lives at the foot of the cross. So here's Paul's singular focus. Do you see it in verse 5? So that, purpose clause, so that, in order that, I choose not to play the power game, the honor game of the philosophers of this age. No, I set that aside. I've become a fool. You laugh at me, but I'm banking my life on the cross so that this is the, this is the whole deal. So that 
your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. He's talking about the Corinthians' faith. And because God has chosen to take this letter that Paul wrote, he had no idea that we'd be reading it and studying it today, but God inspired it, kept it in the Scripture canon. Now we open it up. God is speaking about our faith. Paul is addressing us in our life to embody foolishness with a singular focus that our faith would not rest on human wisdom, but instead on God's power. We thank God for all of the amazing wisdom, but our faith doesn't ultimately rest on that. It rests on God's supernatural dynamite, his dunamis, his power. You know what faith is? Faith really... Faith, another word is trust. Where do we put our trust today? Where, where are you banking your faith, your trust? What are you leaning on? Human wisdom or God's power? Where's the balance there in your life? And because of this word trust, this, this faith, trust, it's something that grows. It can grow. It can get stronger. And, uh, and maybe a good illustration is, uh, is thinking about skiing, you know, going up to Mammoth and skiing. And, and I remember when we were teaching our kids how to ski, you know, you start with a little pizza pie, right? You know, and they, they get their skis and they, 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 they get those edges pointing in and, and they're, they're thinking they're, you know, um, uh, in the Olympics, you know, and they're um, barely moving. But they're, they're, uh, they're the, and, and you're teaching them how to trust their edges, how to lean in, how to lean in on those edges. And, and uh, they know that they can stop, you know. And then it's, uh, you know, it's pizza pie and french fries, you know. Because then they turn the pizza pie into french fries and they start going a little bit faster. And, and then you teach them the, well, what is that turn? The stem Christi, you know, where then they, you know, they, they lean in. They, they turn it in and they, and they press that edge into the ground. And they go, wow, this is amazing. I can go faster. I can go on steeper hills. And I trust my edges. I, I lean. I put my weight down on those edges. And I turn. And I can turn again. And even expert spe- skiers, you know, who are just flying. They make it look effortless. And they got such speed and such skill. They're trusting their edges too. And you get better and better and better. That's the process of spiritual growth. And I I like the fact that Paul says, so that your faith might not rest, rest on human wisdom. It's like the idea of a foundation in a building. What's your foundation? What what is the, 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 the bedrock of your life, of your trust? What are you trusting in for your life? And Paul would say, not on human wisdom. And again, there's a code word that Paul is using. He's not saying, you know, don't listen to any people. You know, um, that, that leads to all sorts of crazy theological ridiculousness. But, but ultimately, where's our trust? And I think another way to use that word rest is when we trust our edges to the rock that is Jesus. 
we receive rest. We can rest in the reality that, yes, Todd had a very close call. And we can tell story after story. And we don't know how those difficult situations will turn out. But those that have put their weight down on the cross of Jesus Christ know that ultimately it will be okay. Yes? Ultimately, God will see us through. We have a hope that does not disappoint. It never says you won't have heart attacks. It never says you won't have hard times. But it will say ultimately those who put their weight down and rest on God's power are going to be okay. So our faith starts with the cross. And our faith is fueled by the cross. And our faith is completed by the cross. And that's one of the reasons why we come to this table every single week. Not out of rote, not unthinking, but as an opportunity to follow Jesus as he says, come to this table and take this bread, this bread that is torn. Just as Jesus was torn, our lives are broken, our lives are torn. Take it, tear it, take that bread. It represents my body and I want you to eat it. I want you to take all of me inside your life. I want you to take my body and embody it in the world. And, and, and we, we dip it in the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus, which is, which is spilt. It's shed for us. And the scriptures tell us that when that blood is shed, when Jesus' blood was shed on the cross, it provides a, a cleansing, a remission of sin. So, so take it, drink it. Drink it and do this in remembrance of me. When we come to this table, we come as a family in solidarity with the brokenness of Jesus, praying, God, may your spirit's power come into our lives, come into our community. May your blood wash over us. May you cleanse us. May may we take this into us so that we can embody the life of Jesus into our community. I want to close by reading a quote, a reflection time. Jasmine, would you guys come on up here? Because I really want Godwin playing the piano. It'll be, be so much cooler. I, I want you just to reflect with me. A fellow follower of Jesus uh, wrote this, and I think it, it provides a moment of reflection. And when we're done, Jasmine and the worship team will lead us in singing, and we'll go to the table. See where this resonates with you. This guy said, I became convinced several years ago that if the cross was not central to any and every issue I'm dealing with as a follower of Jesus, then I've not thought about it carefully enough. If I only need the cross to be forgiven but I need something else to work on my other issues, then I'm not actually thinking about discipleship as Jesus expressed it and Paul modeled it. 
there must be a cross for everything in my life until I am living a cruciform life. That is a life that's shaped by the cross. Until I can find a cross for everything in my life, I need to keep thinking about the cross. A cross for my guilt and sin. A cross for my pride. A cross for my shame. A cross for my fear. A cross for my materialism. A cross for my lust. A cross for my marriage. A cross for my money. A cross for my work. A cross for my friendships. A cross for my health and habits. A cross for my politics. A cross for my enemies list. A cross for my broken personality. A cross for my grudges and my desire to take revenge. cross for my disappointments and my disillusionment. A cross for my fill in the blank. I need the cross every day until I am living a cruciform life and can say with Paul in Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. Let's pray. And where do you need the Spirit's power to apply the cross of Christ in your life this morning? Maybe some of you are are so new to this life of faith that you haven't really stepped across the line to put your weight down on Jesus. Trust us. He's the rock. He is reliable. Father, we thank you for the cross. We open ourselves up now as we come to this table that your spirit may manifest his power in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.